Amen. All right. Well, like I just uh, announced tonight, we are in Job chapter 25, and this is a very short chapter, and I'm going to walk you through it, and it's not going to take very long tonight. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to uh, have some fellowship, and we're going to have some pizza after the service in the new fellowship hall and celebrate the fellowship hall over there. And I said I'm going to preach till the pizza gets here, but I purposely wrote a very short sermon. I only have two pages worth of notes, and most of it, if you would look at it, is, is just the verses that are on here. So I said I'd preach till the pizza gets here, but that might not even happen. I'll preach till the pizza gets here or till I run out of material, all right? Uh, one of those two, we'll figure out how that goes. Uh, let me just say this, though. I meant to say this, and I, I, I forgot. We have 35 large pizzas coming at 7.50, and there's about 170 of us here tonight. Uh, there, that should be enough pizza for everybody who wants some, all right? So let me talk to some of you who struggle with gluttony. It's... <laughs> It's rude, it's rude to walk up and take, you know, half of a pizza, all right? Just grab two or three slices and, you know, let everybody go through it before you go back and take a pizza into your car and do whatever you do. Um, but just, you know, just help us with that, all right? Especially the kids. Kids, you know, you see this little kid take a whole stack of pizza and then, you know, half of it gets thrown away. So if you could help us with that, we'd appreciate it. And there should be enough food for everybody. Uh, if not, we can, of course, order more. But if you could help us with that. All right, tonight we're in Job 25. And there's a couple of special things about this chapter uh, that are worth having pizza after the service anyway. One special thing about the chapter is that this is the last time that Bildad the Shuhite speaks. So, of course, it's always a good thing when Bildad, when one of Job's friends, if you remember, if you've been with us as we've been studying the book of Job, uh, you know that the majority of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his three friends. We've got some narrative chapters at uh, the beginning, and you've got some very interesting chapters at the end, but the majority of the, of the text is Job and his three friends, and then there's a fourth guy named Elihu who enters the conversation later, which we're going to spend some time with him here in the next uh, few weeks. However, Job's friends are going back and forth, and they are debating, and they are arguing, and they are fighting, and they do this over a series of what we've been calling three rounds. In the first round, you have the first friend speak, the second friend speak, the third friend speak, and after all those friends speak, Job responds to each one of them, and that's kind of what we've been doing and the way we've been going. We find ourselves tonight in chapter 25, and this is the last time that Bildad speaks, so that's worth celebrating right there. But even more than that, this is the last time that any of Job's friends speak, of the three. After tonight, we will officially be done with his three friends. And if you're not familiar with the book of Job, you, you know we're happy about that because they're not saying anything good. Uh, they're not. It's been, you know, it's been difficult to figure out sermons to preach out of these chapters where these guys are just uh, saying a lot of uh, silly things. So the chapter is the last time we see Job's friends speak. After this, for the next several chapters, Job responds to Bildad for a while. Then, of course, we'll have our conversation with the fourth friend, Elihu, and then God speaks. And that's when the book gets really good, and uh, we'll really enjoy going through those. But tonight is the last time that Bildad speaks. It's the last time that any of Job's three friends speak uh, as far as debate and arguments with Job. So uh, we're excited about that. A couple things for you to notice 
in chapter 6 is that the chapter is only six verses long. And like I said, I'm not going to preach very long. I didn't plan on preaching very long. Uh, just hope that the pizza gets here uh, on time so that I don't have to uh, come up with other stuff that you might not want to hear. Uh, so the, the, the chapter is not long. It's only six verses. But I, I do want to explain a couple of things. The sermon tonight is not going to be, it's, it's not that the sermon is short because the chapter is only six verses long. Uh, because there are other chapters in the Bible that are only six verses long that you could preach a full-length sermon. I mean, you could preach for weeks on because there's so much truth in them. For example, Psalm 23, one of the most famous uh, chapters in the entire Bible, is only six verses long, and you could preach an entire sermon. You could preach for weeks out of Psalm 23. The reason that Job 25 is not going to be a very long uh, uh, sermon tonight is not because of the fact that it is a short chapter, but it is because of who's speaking. Because Bildad is just not saying a lot of uh, good things or interesting things. And in fact, one other thing I want you to notice, and we're going to jump into the chapter here in a minute, but another thing I want you to notice about this chapter is that it's only six verses long. And if you look at it in comparison to all of the other times that Job's friends spoke or that Job spoke, it's a very short chapter. Uh, which what that tells me is one of two things. Uh, Bildad either began to speak, and maybe because at this point, you know, they're kind of tired of this conversation. I mean, I don't know if you are, but I'm kind of tired of this conversation between Job and his three friends. And either Bildad just kind of ran out of steam and kind of gave us six verses worth of, of debate and then just said, ah, just forget it. Or Job may have just interrupted Bildad and, and cut him off and just kind of said, I'm, I'm just kind of done listening to you and cut him off. But for some reason, Bildad speaks and we only have six verses of his speech. It's not a very long speech, not a very long uh, passage here. And um, we're going to go ahead and walk through it and I'll point out a few things for you. Uh, Job chapter 25, look at verse number 1. Job 25 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, of course, this is the last time Bildad or any of Job's friends are going to speak. Notice verse 2. He says, dominion. Now the word dominion means control. When someone dominates somebody, it means that they have them under control or put them under control. He says, dominion and fear are with him. And the him there is referring to God Then he says this, he maketh peace in his high places. Dominion and fear are with him. What does he mean? What is it that Bildad is saying when he says dominion and fear are with him? He's saying this, God is in control. This is what Bildad is saying. He's saying with God is dominion or dominance or the ability to dominate or control something. He says with God is dominion and fear. And what he means by that is God is in control. Control. And then he says this. He says, He maketh peace in his high places. He says, God is dominating. Dominion is with him. He says, Fear is with him. And then he says, God is making peace or he maketh peace in his high places. So here's what uh, Bildad is saying. He's saying, God is in control and God is not in conflict. There is no conflict with God or to God. There's never a time in God's life, God's existence, where he was uh, stressed out, where he was anxious, where he did not know what to do, because he maketh peace 
in the high places. And, you know, I like that song. There's a song that we would sing when I was a kid, and we sing it a little bit, I think, here. We've sang it with our kids at home, but there's a song that says, Everything's all right in my father's house. In my father's house, in my father's house, everything's all right in my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. And you know that the truth of the matter is that everything is always all right in my father's house. And no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what type of conflict is happening in our lives, no matter what type of issues, the truth is this, that dominion and fear are with him. God is in control. He maketh peace in his high places. God is not in conflict. And by the way, God can give you that peace. Whatever conflict you find yourself in, whatever issues you find yourself dealing with, whatever problems and trials and tribulation, God isn't in conflict. See, the Bible says, we talked about it, we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight, we talked about it a lot on Sunday night, about salvation. Salvation is peace with God, that's what the Bible says in the book of Romans, that we have peace with God. You know, the Bible also says the peace of God. And those are two different things. You can have peace with God and not have the peace of God. And it'd be best to have peace with God and have the peace of God. So here, uh, built that says, dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. And by the way, let me say this. What Bildad is saying about God, no one would argue with. Job wouldn't argue with this. Nobody would argue with this. He's just kind of speaking and saying some good things about God, but in this verse, and not really saying anything that anyone would disagree with. Look at verse 3. Then he says this, Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? So when he says, Is there any number of his armies? What he's saying is this, You cannot count the number of the armies of the angels of God. The Bible calls him the Lord of hosts or the Lord of Sabaoth. What that means is that he's the Lord of the armies. He is the Lord of a military. He is the commander of a military. And here, Bildad says, is there any number of his armies? And what he's saying is this, if you were to count the armies of God, if you were to count the the armies of the angels made up of God, he said, it would be impossible. He said, you can't even number it. You know, I think of the story of Elisha when he, the, the, the enemies had surrounded him and he had asked that God would open the eyes of his servant that he might see. And when God did that for him, he could see the host of the, the heavenly hosts that have surrounded him. Because the truth is this, there, uh, Bildad is tr- correct here when he says, is there any number of his armies? He says, you cannot count the armies of God. And, and, and the point that he's making is this, that God is an impossible foe to face. God is not someone you want to fight with. God is not someone you want to go up against. God has all the resources. He has all the intelligence. Uh, and, and when I say intelligence, I mean like a military. When you have a military, you've got resources, you've got armies, and you've got uh, tanks and weapons and, and, and jets and all those things. But you also want to have intelligence, reconnaissance done, because you don't want to send your resources into areas that they're going to get captured, they're going to get destroyed. God is the greatest military uh, in the world, not America. Uh, it's God, because God has all the resources and God has all the intelligence. God knows what to do and where to do it. Look, here's the point. God knows how to 
press you as far as he needs to press you. The Bible says, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that, ye are able. See, when I as a pastor, or my wife as a pastor's wife, when, when we deal with individuals and we try to help people, oftentimes we have to walk very carefully and, 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 and be very cautious because we're not God. We don't know what God is doing in any given situation, and we don't know how it's all going to work out. I mean, we can tell you what the Bible says, but we don't really know uh, uh, how far maybe God is going to take something or how far God is going to go. But let me tell you something. Others around you and you yourself may not know, but God knows exactly how far to take things, exactly how far to push you, exactly how far to go. Is there any number of his armies? And the, uh, the idea is this, that God is an impossible foe to face. Then he says this, and upon whom does not his light arise? He says, not only is, does God have dominion and fear with him, not only does he make peace in his high places, not only is there any number of his armies the question, but then he says, he asks this question, build that, and it's a good question. He says, upon whom doth not his light arise? He says, God has resources. God has a sun that comes up every day, and that sun shines upon everyone. Those resources, God's resources are used up by everyone. God's blessings go forth to everyone, the evil and the good. In fact, this is somewhat quoted in the New Testament. I'd like you to look at it, if you would, go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Bildad says, he, he asks this question, he says, Upon whom does not his light arise? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes a very similar statement. Matthew 5, look at verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know that the blessings of God and the resources of God are given freely to all mankind, whether they acknowledge it or not. I mean, the sun comes, upon, uh, comes up and shines upon the evil and the good. The sun shines upon those who believe and acknowledge God and those who reject God and say God doesn't exist and are atheists. The sun comes upon them either way. Today, if, if, if anybody got up, everybody got up because God allowed them to get up. Anybody who breathed uh, air today and oxygen today, it was as a result of God allowing them to have that, whether they're evil or good. And, and this is what Bildad is saying. Bildad is saying, and upon whom doth not his light arise? Jesus said, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And I want you to notice the context of what Jesus was saying. Matthew chapter 5, if you go up to verse 43, because Matthew chapter 5 is part of one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus, one of the most famous sermons Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And what I like to tell people and what I like to, to explain whenever I teach on the Sermon on the Mount is that this is real Christianity. And when I say Christianity, I don't mean salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But when we talk about following Christ, being a follower of Christ, being identified with Christ, that's what the word Christian means. We're identified with Christ, Christian, Christians. This is true 
Christianity. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 show you the type of Christians that God wants us to be. And I want you to notice this phrase because Bildad, Bildad says, Upon whom doth not his light arise? And then Jesus said, He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And they're both really making the same point. The point is this, is that God is good to those that are good to him and to those that are not good to him. And here in Matthew 5.43, notice the context. He says, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Jesus is repeating what uh, is commonly told by the Pharisees and something that we would think is normal. Of course you're going to love your neighbor. Of course you're going to love someone that's close to you. Of course you're going to love your uh, 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 someone that's near to you and you're going to hate thine enemies. And Jesus says, okay, well let me tell you what real Christianity is because real Christianity is this, verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Notice that this is counter, uh, uh, counterintuitive to human beings. You tell a human being, hey, you ought to love your husband, and you ought to love your wife, and you ought to love your children, and you ought to love your family, and you ought to love your neighbors, you ought to love people around you. They say, okay, well, I can get that. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's not enough. He says, love your enemies. Now, notice what Jesus is asking us to do. Bless them that curse you. You say, oh, well, I like to be a blessing to people and bless people and tell people God bless you and pray for them and, and hope that uh, God does good things to them. Okay, well, what if they're hoping bad things happen to you? Because he says, bless them that curse you. He says, do good to them that do good to you. No, that's not what he says. He says, do good to them that hate you. Amen. He says, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Amen. That ye may be the children. Now, notice this. You say, well, how is this true Christianity? Notice what Jesus said. How are people going to identify that you are the children of your Father which is in heaven? He says, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. What do we need to do that others might say, wow, there's a child of God. Wow, there's a child of, of, of the Heavenly Father. We do that by loving your enemies, blessing them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. You say, why would that identify us with our God, our Father in heaven? Here's why. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Because God loves his enemies. Because God blesses those that curse him. Every time the sun rises, every time the the rain falls, every time an atheist or someone who rejects Christ uh, wakes up and breathes God's air, he is loving those that have rejected him. He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And by the way, that's Christianity because that's us actually following the commandment and, and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. See, we get this idea, we get this idea, and part of it is our fault, uh, us as preachers. Part of it is our fault because we teach people, you got to go to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, and I believe that, three to thrive. Amen. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you got to be in church. And we tell people you should read the Bible every day. And we tell people you should pray. And we tell people you should go soul winning. And we tell people you should honor the Lord with your finances and time. And we tell people all these things. And then people think, oh, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is going to church three times a week, reading the Bible every day, praying, going soul winning, and tithing. And don't misunderstand me. All those are good things. But real Christianity, real Christianity is turning your cheek. Is loving your enemies. 
blessing them that curse you, doing good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, well, why do you emphasize all those other things? Because you're never going to get there if you don't go to church three times a week. You're, not, you're, you're never going to get... You see, what we're hoping is that we'll motivate you to read the Bible every day so when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, it'll help you become this. Amen. It'll help you become like God because... He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. It'll help you become like Christ because Christ looked at those who were crucifying him on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is what Bildad says. Bildad says, upon whom doth not his light arise? Go back to Job 25. We've got to finish up. Look at verse 4. How then can man be justified with God? I just preached an entire sermon on Sunday night about being justified and atonement and all those things. I knew I was going to be in Job 25 tonight, so I left a few verses that we didn't cover on that sermon so that we could use them tonight. But he asked this question. He says, how then can man be justified with God? And he's asking it in a negative way. He's saying, I don't think that man can be justified with God. And he's looking at Job and saying, Job, I don't think you can be justified with God. And then he says this, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? The idea of being born of a woman is that you're born with a sin nature, that you're born a sinner. Unless you're virgin born, if you're born of a woman, you're born with a sin nature. And he says, how can a man be justified with God? God, Bildad says, I don't see a way for a man to be made right or just before God. He says, Bildad does not see a way uh, for a man that is born of a woman with a sin nature to be made clean. Then he says this in verse 5, he says, Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. And by the way, let me just say this real quickly. The Bible is always scientifically accurate. The Bible is not a scientific book, but when it deals with science, it's always accurate. In fact, when it deals with science, it's always ahead of science. Here he says, Behold, even the moon, and it shineth not. Today we got a bunch of flat earthers that say the moon is its own light source. But here, Bill Daddy's explained the fact that he understands the fact that the, the, the moon is not its own light source. The moon reflects the light of the sun. Behold, even the moon, and it shineth not, yea. Then he says, the stars are not pure in his sight. See, Bildad is contemplating this idea. He's saying, God is good to both the evil and uh, uh, the good. His blessings fall upon everybody. But I don't really understand with that said. I don't understand how man can be justified with God. And then Bildad looks up at the sky, and he says, Behold, even the moons, and it shineth not. They understood that the moon was not a source of light, but simply reflects light. He says, the stars are not pure in his sight. He says, the moon and the stars do not. Uh, uh, attain what, what he means there. The stars are not pure in his sight. He says, the moon and the stars do not attain to God's glory. He says, how can a man be justified with God? He looks up at the, at the heavens and he says, not even the stars attain to the glory of God. Then he says this in verse 6, how much less man that is a worm? He says, if the stars can't be justified in the sight of God, then how can man be justified? In the sight of God. And see, the problem with Bildad is that he has this idea that man must justify himself before God. And he's wrong. Real quickly, let's look at a couple of passages. Romans, we're going to go to Romans and Psalms. If you can do that, then we'll uh, finish up. All right, the pizza's here. So we'll go ahead and finish up. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter number 3, and look at verse number 20. Very well-known passages, you know it. We didn't look at these verses on Sunday night because I wanted to save them for tonight. He said, the Bible says, Romans 3.22, 
excuse me, Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You, we, we do not get justified by the deeds of the law. It's amazing to me how most churches and most religions today are teaching the exact opposite of what is so clearly taught in Scripture. They say, you want to go to heaven? Live a good life. You want to go to heaven? Go to the confessional booth. You want to go to heaven? Speak in tongues. You want to go to heaven? Repent of your sins. You want to go to heaven? Get baptized. You want to go to heaven? You know, do all these things. But the Bible says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law tells you is it tells you, you're not good enough. Verse 28, same chapter, notice what he says. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Amen. So Bildad asked this question. Go, go back to Job. How can man be justified with God? And he says, you know, even the stars are not pure in his sight, and how much less man that is a worm. But he thinks a man has to justify himself. And if man had to justify himself, I would agree with him. But how can a man be justified with God? Well, we conclude, the Bible says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What's interesting is that then he makes the statement, because he's trying to explain how bad and how unworthy human beings are. In verse 6, he says, how much less man that is a worm. Then he says this, and the son of man. Now, the Son of Man is just a reference. It's just speaking about a human being. Anybody who's the Son of Man is a man. And the Son of Man, which is a worm. What's interesting is that he's kind of prophetically speaking here because all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. He's referred to as the Son of God all throughout the Gospels, but he's also referred to as the Son of Man. In fact, he's called the Son of Man more times than he's called the Son of God. You say, well, why is he called the Son of God and the Son of Man? Because there's two sides to Christ. He's deity and he's humanity. He is God in the flesh. He says, and the Son of Man, which is a term that's used for Christ. I'm not saying Bildad was using this about Christ, but God kind of put this play on words here. He says, which is a worm. In Psalm 22, if you would, just real quickly, flip over to uh, Job. Uh, excuse me, to Psalms. You're there in Job, just flip over. Psalm 22 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible about the crucifixion of Christ. If you look at verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those are words that Jesus actually said on the cross. He talks here about how he's despised the people. He, he, it's all about, we won't take the time to read it, He talks about how they part my garments among them, verse 18, and cast lots upon my vesture. He talks about, uh, there's all these prophecies, but I want you to notice in verse 6, he says, but I am a worm, is what Jesus said. This prophecy of Jesus. And no man, a reproach of man and despise of the people. So what's interesting is that Bildad asks this question. He says, how can man be justified with God? Then he gives all these reasons why he can't be justified with God. And he says, and then he kind of climaxes it by saying, how much less man that is a worm. And up to that point, I would agree with him. If you're expecting man to justify himself, it's not going to happen. But then he says this, and the son of man, which is a worm, which is a a reference, I don't know that it was uh, intended, but a reference to Jesus Christ, because Jesus called the son of man, and Jesus in Psalm 22 referred to himself as a worm. And what's funny is that he ends... 
by giving us how a man can be justified with God, it's through the Son of Man, which is a worm, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that made himself sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he's trying to give an argument against it by talking about how low man is, not realizing that one day the Son of God would become the Son of Man and go that low to call himself a worm, to take upon the sins of all mankind, that we might be saved. And then he's done. I don't know why. I don't know if he got cut off. I don't know if he just lost steam. I don't know if he just decided 25 chapters was enough. But he finished. So we will finish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this short chapter in the Bible. And thank you for just the truths we can quickly uh, get out of it. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, help us tonight as we have uh, pizza in the fellowship hall and celebrate the opening of the fellowship hall. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless the food and that you would bless the fellowship and that you would uh, meet with us tonight and, and, and help us to, Lord, Lord to, turn, to learn the few things we could from this chapter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.